0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Howdy, howdy, howdy. What's going on, everybody? It's Wednesday. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's. A hoop ball presentation, and I am your host, Dan Besprist. August 11th! Can we start the countdown yet? Well, I think the answer's probably yes, if I could remember exactly which Tuesday on October. I think it's the 19th. Two months, eight days? Is that where we're at right now? Of course, it's the two long months. That's actually not true. That's wrong. That's July, August. Hey, guys! <laughs> it's a 31 and a 30. 61 plus 8 is 69 days. Hey, that's a perfect time to start a countdown, isn't it? August 11 2021. We start the countdown towards opening day 2021. But really, we're on countdown watch to draft season 2021. And that, in my estimation, is like next week. That's am- that's incredible. We're part of the way through the Eastern uh, Conference. Actually, we're most of the way through the Eastern Conference. A couple more teams to go in the Atlantic Division. We may have to do a little bit of a redux. On some of the teams out west, that got impacted in a large way by either free agency or injury or some combination thereof. But just a few more uh, teams to go. We've got Philadelphia left on the docket. We've got Boston left on the docket. And sheesh, is that it? That can't be right. I'm miscounting somewhere in there. What am I missing? Toronto. Sorry, Canada. Sorry, That's a dumb one to miss because that's actually going to be a really fun spot to handicap. We will save Toronto for Friday, which I know it's not like the buzz team that's going to get all the accidental clicks on a podcast. That's New York. That's Brooklyn. That's L.A. That's Boston. But Toronto, to me, is really interesting. Today we're going to do a team that's a little bit less interesting, and I'm okay with saying that. It's the Philadelphia 76ers. Before we dive into the Sixers, I want to remind everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. If you can spell it, you can follow me. That's the old adage for anyone with the last name Bespris. If you can spell it, you can find me. B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Seven letters. The R is in the second half. Happens a lot. Get a lot of Brespis. Which I get it. Rolls off the tongue a little bit better, really, than my actual last name. Bespris. I get called a lot of things that are usually nicknames, so folks don't have to deal with the last name. You can follow HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallFantasy. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, the word fantasy. That's all one word on Twitter. That's the handle. Uh, good stuff coming out on that feed every day. The HoopBall Loyalty Program. I actually personally wrote up a massive tweet thread on the HoopBall Loyalty Program that went out from at Fantasy last night. I want to remind you guys that you now have five days left. If you're already on a HoopBall uh, Premium Membership, just leave it on. Just leave it on if you're not on one and you're one of two groups of people. You're either in Group A. Well, Group A was you already have a Premium Membership. Group B is you had one and you canceled it when last season ended. Group C is is you're thinking about get one, getting one or may get one in the future at some point. There's also a group D, which is I'll never get anything, and I'm not talking to you. For group A, just leave it alone. You're automatically enrolled in the Hoopball Loyalty Program. For groups B and C, you have five days to get on a premium membership and lock in last year's prices forever. You heard me. It's not lacking last year's prices for this coming year. It's locking last year's prices forever. And to get it and keep it, all you have to do is be on a premium membership before prices go up in five days and don't turn it off. If you turn it off, when you sign back up, it'll be at whatever the price is when you sign back up. If you leave it on forever or until you're done playing fantasy in 25 years or whatever that happens to be, you will never see your price go up as long as you leave it on. That's the hoop ball loyalty program. Go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, and go get yourself on a membership today unless you're already on one, in which case, just chill. So the 76ers are a loaded question in fantasy handicapping because they went 49 and 23 this last year. Everything seemed to be going according to plan until the playoffs came around, and if you can't shoot, you can't win in the playoffs. Unfortunately, that's the way it is right now. Giannis disproved that because he is so incredible at everything besides shooting that he was able to cover up that fact. Giannis has I like I To say if you can't shoot, you can't play in the playoffs is a little bit of an oversimplification because there are a couple guys out there who can't shoot but are still incredible offensive talents. The guy I'm talking about, of course, by rolling that phrase in together, was honestly before the finals this year. It was kind of Giannis, too, but it's basically Ben Simmons. If you can't shoot... You ha- you're going to have trouble winning in the playoffs because teams will pack the paint. Teams will game plan for your weaknesses. And if you have a glaring one, like I can't get a point on the board unless I'm laying it up, you're in real trouble. There are a lot of ways to guard someone like that. Russell Westbrook is sort of a smaller iteration of that same problem, but at least he can hit a short-range jumper. He can hit the mid-range shot. It's not a highly efficient thing, but it's better than watching Ben Simmons throw a left-handed frozen rope from anywhere outside the painted area and even some places inside of it. Like, you know, if you're straight away going towards the free throw line. <clears throat> Shoot a free throw better, buddy. And this got exposed. And Milwaukee was, get, was able to get around some of their exposures on the Giannis offensive front by putting Giannis... In the pick and roll as the roll man, it forced his defender to come up to guard the guy with the basketball. Problem is, if the defender comes up, Giannis can beat anyone to almost any spot. Ben Simmons can't do that. Russ can kind of do that. Russ is fast enough and smaller. We've, you know, we've seen him actually get past defenses on his own, even in the playoffs sometimes. Again, there are very easy ways to deal with him, and the Lakers are going to have to figure that stuff out. But this is a needlessly long conversation about how Ben Simmons has no offensive game other than laying it up and in. And that's a really big problem. And now Kendrick Perkins comes out, says he's not taking calls from the 76ers brass. I don't know if he's offended because Joel Embiid kind of called him out after one of their playoff games. I was like, look, like, we had a layup and instead we missed two free throws and the game just wasn't there. The game just wasn't the same from that point forward. If I'm Joel Embiid, I'm a little bit frustrated too because all of the things we've heard, and I, I again, I don't know any of these things to be true, but we read the tea leaves in NBA media circles. If you're not inside the locker room, you have to read between the lines. And between the lines... I don't know who's planting these stories, because every story is someone's trying to accomplish something. I, I, I've, My wife and I are catching up on succession right now, and they talk a little bit in each season, because the main characters in that show own a media company, how they can just plant stories about people. That's what it all is in the NBA. Anytime you see a story where there's a target, someone's putting out that story for some reason. Ben Simmons' stories, the target is often he refuses To evolve his offensive game. Which sort of isn't fair. Because it's possible he's just not ever going to be a guy who can shoot. Giannis can't shoot. You know he works on it. Because he took three pointers this season. He made 1.1 threes per ball game. He actually tried a few. And it went horribly particularly in the playoffs. Ben Simmons won't even try. Is this a man who understands his own limitations, or is this a man that just refuses to acknowledge his own limitations? Either way, there's bad blood now. So handicapping the 76ers going into this season is a screwball effort because we just don't know if Ben Simmons is going to be there when the season starts. Either because they've already traded him, or because he's in freeze out mode and won't show up until they too they do trade him. Sixers reported asking price for Simmons right now is astronomical, which is uh also quite comical, because they're not gonna get that from anybody. Every other team in the league just watched what the the league did to Ben Simmons come playoff time. That's a that's a tough road to hoe if you're trying to trade a guy and at the same time trying to convince people that he's not what they just saw? His two playoff series this year, Philly uh, beat Washington 4-1 in the opening round um, and lost to Atlanta in the second round. He averaged 15-10-9 and 9 in the first round against the Washington Wizards, a team that can't play defense really to save their lives. They tried a little bit harder on the defensive end towards the end of the season, but they still weren't they still were sub-average. And then Atlanta, who was actually a relatively good defensive team uh, after the Nate McMillan takeover, he averaged 9, 6, and 8.5. And That's not superstar-level stuff. That's like Lonzo Ball without the three-pointer. You think they're getting what they asked for 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 him if he's Lonzo Ball without the outside shot? <laughs> uh Again, not a totally fair comparison, but also not that insane when you look at how, particularly recently, playoff series have gone for Simmons, when teams began to game plan for him, particularly the series that Philly has lost in each of their last three trips to the postseason. Simmons, I don't think, played uh, in the bubble postseason, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was I think he was out with an injury for that one. Uh, 2019... The Toronto year, when Toronto beat them, he averaged 11, 7, and 5 in that series. Boston, the previous year, when the Celtics beat him four games to one, he averaged 14, 8, and 6. This is not a superstar. This is a good basketball player, but this is not a superstar. So something's going to have to give. Either they're going to have to lower their asking price, which almost unquestionably isn't as high as what they're putting out in the media, because. You have to say a bigger thing, and then you know you try to get teams to bid against themselves, but nobody's that dumb right now. Because again, they all just watched what we watched. So either lower the asking price, or you wait until some team gets hyper desperate, which isn't going to happen between now and opening night. That's the type of thing that might happen if a team suffers a giant injury mid season, uh, or realizes that they have their own massive personnel issue, and you get the Westbrook for John Wall type of swap. Where it's like, well, neither one of us really wants this guy to, uh, on our team anymore. They don't fit. Let's just switch him. It's like, oh, Ben Simmons, is there some other team out there who has a 25-year-old who's imploding? We can just switch him? $30 million a year, whatever he's making? Let's, well, at least I can say this. At least we can say this. If Ben Simmons is there, Philly's actually a really easy team to handicap because we saw what they were this last season. Joel Embiid, outstanding, unguardable. Ben Simmons, rounded in a particular way, but saw him uh, a pretty goodly drop off from last season, when he was at sixteen and a half, eight and eight, with two point seven defensive stats, fifty eight percent from the field and sixty two at the free throw line. You move that over to. Uh, I guess that would be this season now, this most recent one, and he was at 14-7-7, and 7, so the ball got taken out of his hands a little bit in the Doc Rivers give-it-to-Joel Embiid offensive stuff. Also, his defensive stats went down from 2.7 to 2.2. 2. Ben Simmons is a punt-free-throw guy who no longer is elite enough in any one other offensive category to carry the issue. In fact, he was the fourth Best fantasy player on Philadelphia this year on a per game basis. Who was third? Daniel Green. You guys know I'll always have a soft spot for old Danny Green. Danny Green is signed this coming year for $10 million. So um, that's on the books, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Tobias Harris is also a really difficult contract to move. They've got him on the books for another 120 ish million dollars or so uh so that's going to be kind of a tough one the uh and then nobody else besides those guys was in the positive fantasy territory but for you know a week here a week there where a bunch of guys were out like we saw whenever ben simmons missed a ball game matisse thiebel slid into his spot and put up four or five defensive stats for one game there were stretches this year where seth curry was worth using very beginning of the year was kind of the, the winning point for that. And he's a really good fit for that team. He's a floor spacer, outstanding three-point shooter. You can look at his game log from this year, and you can see where COVID hit and when he just sort of, he was playing plenty of minutes, but he wasn't really himself until, like, April. It really, like, legitimately, it seemed like it took him about two and a half months to get his stroke back. He never, he just didn't get healthy. April. That's when he had he had a really good December and a really good April. And in between, he was not good. Now, if bodies get moved, things change quite a bit here. But as they currently stand, he doesn't get enough shots to be fantasy relevant because he needs to get a bunch of three-pointers because his value lies in threes and both percentages. So you're not going to be much help if you're not taking shots or free throws or three-pointers if those are the things you're trying to help your team in thigh same kind of thing you're not drafting him in a standard 12 team league but if someone on this team gets hurt and he slots in he's a defensive whiz kid 2.7 defensive stats for thigh in 20 minutes of ball game and it does translate that goes up to 28 29 minutes his defensive stats go right with it close to four it's crazy actually he's a rare phenomenon that can kind of keep that per 36 in check but if we start at the top and assume Ben Simmons is still in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, 29-11-3 this year. Both great percentages. His free throw percent took a massive leap forward, which I, I don't really know if we can assume that that sticks. Uh, career 81 percenter, a lot of that is because of this year. He was at 80 percent each of the last two seasons before jumping up to 86 Uh, He was hovering in the 48% shooting range the last three years in a row before jumping to 51% this year as well. And it's not like we can say that he was magically healthy. It just seems like Doc Rivers gave him the keys to the offense and it worked for him. I don't see any reason why that changes with or without Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid is a first-round-per-game talent who's basically never going to play in more than 80% of his team's games. It's just not going to happen. Missed the first two years of his NBA career with a foot injury. Uh, His rookie season, three years in, he played 31 games, 63, 64 in 82 game seasons. Then each of the last two years, 51 out of 72. That's pretty bad. I don't see how you can draft Joel Embiid in almost any kind of league. Luckily, he was so incredible on a per-game basis that year that despite missing 21 of their 72 ballgames, he was still number 14 by totals, which put him almost right on his ADP. He was drafted first usually uh, within the first four picks of the second round, so that put him right on the mark. In Roto, he was a win this year because he was number six on a per-game basis. You're able to fill out the 21 missed ball games with someone else. He hit his value... In 51 games, it's almost like you got 21 freebies out of him uh, if you drafted him in the second round. In head-to-head, I don't know how you how you end up with a guy like that, because he's going to give you zeros, and it's going to break you at some point, if you're relying on that type of player. Roto, uh, it's going to come down to where he gets drafted, and after that giant year, this most recent season, he's probably going in the first round. I mean, I'd be flabbergasted if he wasn't inside the top 10 or 11 picks this year, and that is... A a huge terrifying question mark that's gonna hang over your draft slot. Cause let's say you have the eleventh pick and Embiid is still on the board and you could pick between I don't know, let's let's come up with an example on the fly here. Let's say that like um Bradley Beal is still on the board at eleven and Jason Tatum is still on the board at eleven. Um I don't know if I want to go with anybody else. Vooch, you could say, eh, meh. He's in Chicago now, so I don't think I'd uh, go that route. But here's the thing. Like, Tatum was number eight by totals this last year. I'm talking Roto right now. Let's say this is happening to you and you're in a Roto league. You have pick number 11. You're picking between Embiid, Beal, and Tatum. By totals, Tatum was number eight. Beal was 13. Embiid was 14. On a per-game basis, Embiid was six. Beal was 14, Tatum was 15, but Tatum played in 64 games, Beal 60, and Embiid 51. If you're in Roto, there's actually a case to be made there that you could go the Joel Embiid route and pray he gets to 64 games played. Because if he only misses 18 games, and he racks up top 6, top 7 per game numbers again this coming year, then... At the end of the first round, he probably beats his ADP or basically ties it. Me? What would I do? Head-to-head or Roto, at that spot, I'm probably going Jason Tatum. I might go Bradley Beal. That's that's like 60-40. It's pretty damn close to a coin flip. And if you put all three in the bucket, it's like uh, 50-40-10% chance I go with Joel Embiid. There's like almost no possibility that I go the MB route there in any format. It's just not ever worth it to me to roll the dice like that at pick 11 if you have these other guys on the board. Uh previous seasons if you're talking about a guy like Kawhi Leonard, I might have been convinced to go Kawhi because we'd seen he's basically a guaranteed top 5 per game guy. You knew exactly what you were going to get. In roto you could survive that cuz he beats his mark thanks to the per game markers. If Joel Embiid's free throw percent goes back down towards 81, he falls from top six to more like top nine. That's what it takes, and he misses his ADP if he again misses 15 or more basketball games. If his free throw percent goes down and he misses 15 games or more, he's not going to be in the first round on a totals basis. You saw it this year. He didn't hit the first round by totals because he missed 21 ball games, and that's despite having... Statistically, uh statistically speaking, basically the best season he could have ever possibly had. I, I just don't see how this on a per game basis, at least I don't know how he gets any better. Seems downright impossible. Could blocks go from one point four to like one point six and everything else stayed exactly the same? I guess. That's that's damn optimistic. But look, Russ is gone from Washington. Jason Tatum, people didn't like his season for some reason. Uh, he was uh, extraordinarily reliable considering all that Boston went through. Top eight by totals, like that's hard to complain about. But the point I'm trying to make with all of this is the risk is not worth it. As Brew likes to say to quote, I think it's the from the Girl Next Door movie with uh, Alicia Cuthbert, the juice isn't worth the squeeze on Joel Embiid. You're going to be sitting on pins and needles the whole damn year. We've had discussions like this with a guy like Anthony Davis before. Is the juice worth the squeeze to take him in the top three? The answer there was almost always yes, because if he missed only like 14 games, he was still a top three fantasy player, because on a per-game basis, nobody was touching him. Well, now he's got something going on between the ears of the free throw line, and the Lakers are going to be in rest during the regular season mode, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about him right now. I'm talking about Embiid right now, and Joel has yet to play even a number even remotely close to a full complement to basketball games in a year. He's he just not even getting, he's not anywhere near it. If you take the chance on Joel Embiid and draft him at 11, and he does somehow play like 68, 69 games this year, he'll beat his ADP. There's no question about it. He'll beat the mark like it's not even it's not even up for debate but you can't handicap a player in fantasy and draft them based on the best case scenario you draft based on an average of all scenarios and what we've seen from Embiid so far in his NBA career is that he doesn't get that close to a full season he just doesn't if you're the maniac that bets on he uh, that he does More power to you. But I'll ask you this follow-up question that I hope you ask yourself any time you're considering taking a risk in the first three rounds. Will this risk win me my league? 999 times out of 1,000, the answer is no. Will it make your team a little better? Yeah. You know, if you get Joel Embiid and uh, instead of playing 61 games this coming year out of 82, he plays like 69... Will that make your team better to get eight more games out of him? Absolutely. Will it win your league that one difference? Will getting Embiid at a best case scenario 69 games versus, say, Beal at an average scenario of him playing like 74 games out of 82 at a lower per game clip, will it win your league to have that guy, Embiid, who in that scenario is probably a top six fantasy player versus Tatum, who's like Top twelve, does that win your league? No. But what if Embiid misses an extra five games over his normal number? What if he plays fifty-six games out of eighty-two next year, and you spent your first-round pick on him? Will that lose you your league? Yeah, probably. Your if your first-round pick misses thirty-five percent of his games, thirty percent of his games. You're going to have a damn hard time getting inside the top three. The rest of your team better be bleeping perfect. So all of that to say, I probably won't have, end up with Joel Embiid on my fantasy teams this coming year. Seems like a long shot based on his injury history and my tack on how we approach the first couple rounds of a fantasy draft, which is you need those guys logging games, not getting you zeroes. Not surprisingly, for those that follow the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad, the number two, the second-ranked player on Philadelphia this year, was Tobias Harris, and it honestly wasn't very close. Tobias was number 28 on a per-game basis. He was as non-durable as he's ever been in his NBA career. He missed 10 games. I know. It was crazy. And he finished number 22 by totals because uh, most players in the NBA actually missed more than 10 games. It was more like 11 to 11 and a half for the average top 150 fantasy player or I should say the top 150 fantasy players' average number of games missed was actually slightly higher than 10. Tobias averaged 20 points, 7 boards, 3.5 assists, a steal, a little less than a block, great percentages, 1.3 three pointers. Also someone who thrives under Doc Rivers. Doubt he's going anywhere. You can pen him in, etch him in stone. That Tobias Harris is going to have another productive year, and damn it, he might even be more durable this coming season. There is a very real chance... That Tobias Harris gets drafted in the 40s or 50s again and performs in the teens or 20s again. I got to get out of these damn leagues with all of you. This is the player that always reminds me of this. I need to get out of Roto Leagues that you guys all join that I created. It's killing me. It's like you guys are taking... uh a handful of thumbtacks and just ramming them into my face during, on draft night when I'm sitting there, because every other league that I've ever played, I've been able to let Tobias Harris fall right into my lap at, like, pick 55 or 60. And with all of you turds joining my league, you guys all draft him at 41, and I can't get him. I didn't have Tobias Harris anywhere last year. This is the guy that on the podcast I said, this is the one I'm targeting in all of my leagues. Tobias Harris, easy, easy money, easy money. I think Vooch was the other one of those. Easy money, I said. And you jerks took him before I could get him. Uh, so to that end, by the way, uh, and well I'll bring this back up probably next month. If you're in a league where you're the one person who listens to hoop ball stuff and everybody else doesn't, I will happily join your league. I am really, it's exhausting, man. I like beating you guys because I did this last year. I did quite well in my roto leagues and largely are filled with you dudes and gals. Uh, and yet, I'm tired. It's too hard. <laughs> People say it's, it's really satisfying to win when you have to work really hard to get it. I want a couple of easy ones. And Tobias is supposed to be mine. Anyway, he's an easy win. Again, he'll be an easy win again until the end of time, uh, because his value is tied up in percentages, and nobody pays attention to that crap. Nobody pays attention to it. No one cares. He's, like, league average in steals, blocks, rebounds, a hair better. Like, he's a hair better than league average in a couple of categories, but he's, like, slight... It's the strangest damn thing. Remember how on this show we talk about how if you're league average in everything, you're basically a top 75 fantasy player? Tobias Harris is, like, league average in uh, threes, assists, steals, and turnovers, and he's slightly better than league average in scoring, rebounding, blocks, field goal percent, and free throw percent. Five of the nine categories. He's ever so slightly better than league average, and the other four, he's almost exactly league average. And that's enough to jump a guy from top 75 to inside the top 30 on a per-game basis. And then he's durable. He's a great head-to-head player because he doesn't miss games. He's a great roto player because he's drafted so damn late. Uh, What else needs to be said? I'm jumping over Danny Green. I'll come back to him in just a second. We got to talk about Ben Simmons from a fantasy perspective. Here's the thing. His role isn't getting better in Philadelphia. He's on the outs there right now, which of course also means he might end up being a slight value this year, but I just don't know. I, I Probably not for one main reason. And that main reason is because, and we've also talked about this in the past, the main reason he won't be a value ever On draft day is because eight cat and points category leagues get rolled together with nine category leagues, the ones that we generally study on this podcast, into what creates a big box sites pre-rank board or their ADPs, whichever one you want to look at. Either way, it's all getting rolled together. ESPN ranks are built heavily on a points league engine. Yahoo ranks are built heavily on a combination of eight and nine category leagues. So a guy like Simmons, who's bad at turnovers, he's going to get drafted earlier because if they're in a nine cat league, eight cat numbers are going to get rolled in. If there are points leagues that get factored in in any way because his free throw percent is so god awful, that's going to pull his value up the board because there are leagues where people don't care about that and people punt it. It's, by the way, again, why it's so easy to win the percentages categories in a nine-category, particularly Roto League, because ADPs of players like Ben Simmons are clouded by punting, 8-cat, and points leagues. Those guys are always going to get drafted too soon because of those extenuating circumstances. No, it doesn't even have to be that much. If only 10% of Yahoo's leagues are points leagues... That's still 10% where Ben Simmons is going inside the top 20 when he should be going at like 75. Just pull up that number. Do some very quick math and say, okay, nine times, and let's forget about turnovers for a minute. Let's say it's only nine cat and points leagues. Nine times he's drafted at 70. Let's just say seven to simplify here. Nine times he's drafted at seven, and one time he's drafted at two. What's the weighted average there? Well, 9 times 7 is 63, plus 2 is 65, divided by 10, 6.5. And so every time that happens, it pulls his ADP earlier. If there's some 8-cat leagues where he gets drafted uh, inside the top 40 because he had three turnovers a game, and that was one of his negative categories last year. Okay, all of a sudden now, let's say 7, and this is actually way too high, uh, so let's say 6 times, he's drafted at 70. That's nine category leagues. Three times, he's drafted at 40. And a points league, one time, he's drafted at 20. You can do weighted averages again. Six times seven is 42. Plus three times four, 12 goes to 54. Plus one, 55. Now all of a sudden, his ADP is 55. Even though we know he should be going at 70. So all it takes is those little things where he'll, it. it ensures that he will never fall far enough for those of us who play nine-category roto formats and aren't punting. I mean, we didn't even factor in the punt guys who were going to take him at 20 also. I think you guys get the mathematical picture there. They don't call me pedantic for nothing. So, Ben Simmons, you're not going to end up on my fantasy team unless I'm punting free throws. Kick him out. Finally, Danny Green who somehow managed to have a top 55 season by totals and top 86 on a per-game basis. And I will say, a lot of that is because guys missed games around him. Seth Curry missed 25 games. No, I'm sorry, Seth Curry missed 15 games. Apologies, folks. But he wasn't himself for long stretches of other ones. Firkin' Korkmaz missed 17 games, Embiid 21, Simmons 14. Tobias 10 when those guys were out you had these big Danny Green explosion games they were super weird because no one saw them coming but it was just like oh Danny uh go nuts you can find him go to his game log and look for the weird game where he took like in January he took 17 shots on January 9th and 25 shots on January 12th he had 29 10 and 6 in that ball game two steals and two blocks like who the hell uh what but um I think Tobias Harris was out for that ball game. It was really weird. Ben Simmons was in, but he only took two shots, so he went all Ben Simmons on it. Embiid took 23. Uh Tyrese Maxey took 18, Mike Scott took 16. So there's no Seth Curry and there was no Tobias Harris in that ball game. It's always it's very clear what it always is going to take uh, to get Danny Green to some sort of weird fantasy fantasy threshold. In early March, he had a stretch where he took 15 shots, then 13, 8, 9, 14. That was weird. But those games pop up for him, and it's why Danny Green has, throughout his entire career, been the ultimate don't-pay-attention-to-the-night-to-night thing going on. He's pretty durable, so that's good news. Uh, 69 out of 72 games this year, 68 out of 72 last year with the Lakers. Uh, 80 out of 82 games with Toronto the previous season. Then he, you go back to Spurs days where he got yanked around by Greg Popovich a little bit. But basically, since he's been out from under Pop, he's played within four games of a full season. So Danny Green, uh, excellent head-to-head guy if you're not, if you're actually contemplating winning turnovers. If you're bunting turnovers, then yeah, a lot of his value gets wiped out in the wash there. Uh, but excellent head-to-head guy because of the durability. With Roto... Limited upside. I mean, this year he did. He was a solid roto value play. Uh, in 28 minutes per ball game, it was the highest number he's played in a game since 2014. That was back in his 1-1-1 year with San Antonio. It was the year where we were like, "Holy crap, Danny Green! He's like a top 50 guy all of a sudden." And yeah, that uh, disappeared pretty quickly. But 1.3 steals this year, 0.8 blocks. He really did look like himself. Eight shots per ball game, six and a half of them from downtown. Uh, doesn't take free throws, so sort of doesn't really matter there. Pretty repeatable stats for him, and I think the only way that he gets cluttered is if Ben Simmons goes out, and they bring in a high-level... I guess it would be like a two-guard, although it's not entirely clear what position any of these guys is playing on the Sixers. They're just a gigantic basketball team. But they love his defense. He's sort of a championship type of guy. Um... And I, I, I mean, I'd be floored if he gets drafted inside the top 120. In head-to-head, he's a great grab at that range. At Roto, eh, it's not, it's not exciting. And you kind of have to be looking for particular stuff. You need to be threes, defensive stats, and low turnovers hunting at that point in Roto, which I don't know, like. Danny Green has no chance of being inside the top 75. And we keep talking about how your draft picks near the top 100 have to be guys where you're like, "Look, on a per game basis, could this guy hit the top 70-75 range?" With Danny Green, the answer is no. This year at number 86 was probably a best case scenario. Uh the again, the way he gets better is if Ben Simmons is just sitting out games at the beginning of the year. Cuz Ben did take 10 shots a ball game for all the warts and whatever. Uh he, he took 10 shots a night, so you just remove that from the equation, and probably a half a shot or one shot goes to Danny Green. You give him an extra shot, outstanding. His threes go up, his scoring goes up, that's good. But they like him on the floor. Uh, he's going to play big minutes, and he'll be a decent head-to-head grab. So give me Tobias Harris in any format. Give me Danny Green probably more so in head-to-head than Roto because of the slightly capped upside. Ben Simmons, you will go too soon. Embiid, you will probably go uh, around the right time, assuming he plays kind of the way his averages suggest he'll play in terms of both per game and missed games numbers. But that also makes him someone I'm not going to venture into early in drafts, which is where he's going. Uh, Seth Curry, potentially worth a grab in the very last round of like a 15-round draft, because if he gets it going like he did at the beginning and end of this last season, his percentages were able to carry him. Uh, And he's a guy like in that Joe Harris mold that can get you threes without hurting you in the percentages. Those are hard to find because, again, you know, I like to build fantasy teams that win field goal and free throw percent. So that's actually really helpful. Uh, Keeps you in the mix in three-pointers, which is often something that suffers when you're targeting defensive stats, field goal, and free throw percent. That is a category that's hard to balance. So Seth Curry, last-round flyer, thigh-bull, waiver-wire guy. Simmons Embiid, doubt it. Tobias, yes. Danny Green, head-to-head. That's your Philadelphia 76ers. Back at you tomorrow. We'll do the Boston Celtics on Thursday. We'll wrap things up in the Atlantic Division with the Raptors over the weekend. And then next week, we're going to talk to our good friend, our old buddy, Josh Millman. Find out how things are going on the Josh front. Talk free agency. Some of the spots he's looking for value. That should be coming up early next week. Uh, And then we'll start a little bit of draft prep stuff. We'll do a little draft 101. Get into some mocks after that. And the count-up Forget Countdown. The count-up begins towards the start of this next fantasy season. I am Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. A hoop-ball presentation. I'll promo your ears off tomorrow. Today you get a break and uh, use it wisely. So long.